I clearly remember my 21st birthday. I had my microbiology exam the next day and my parents came that evening just to, you know, give me some cupcakes and say happy birthday. And so my roommate was there, I was there and I was just sobbing. And I was like, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm going to fail this test. I can't consume this amount of material and be able to understand it. And there's so much that is required um, of me as a first year medical student. And I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if this is the right choice. But I think the power of just hard work and consistency cannot be understated. So yeah, like I still showed up for that exam the day after my 21st birthday, and I didn't fail it. I did fine. Um, so you have to keep moving forward, keep going, keep working hard, show up every day and don't let minor, you know, setbacks stand in your way. Pediatrics is the career up for discussion on today's podcast. Our guest today is a board certified pediatrician. She graduated from George Washington University School of Medicine and did a residency at the University of Maryland Children's Hospital. In residency, she served on the Maryland American Academy of Pediatrics and helped found the Women Resident Collective. She's currently working as a pediatrician in Southern Maryland. She loves serving the community that helped foster her love for medicine and is always looking forward to interacting with supporting parents and advocating for happy, healthy children. It is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Monica Mehta today and discuss with her the journey of her job. Before we get into the episode, super excited to share with you all the launch of the Career Show website. So do check it out. Link is mentioned right here and even in the bio. With that, hit that subscribe button and the post notification bell and let's dive into this exciting episode. Very good afternoon to you, Dr. Monica Mehta. It's such an honor to have you on The Career Show. Thank you so much for taking the time out and being here with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited. I'm so excited to talk about your journey, your journey in pediatrics. But I want to start off by talking about your journey with content creation. And the reason I want to do that is because that's how I came across your profile. That's how I reached out to you. So, I mean, I guess if you were not creating content, this wouldn't have been possible. So just wanted to understand how did that entire journey began for you? Yeah, so um, I started kind of like a professional Instagram after towards the end of my residency. Um, Basically, I knew I was going into primary care and with the time constraints that you have in primary care, you have like 15 minutes per patient, sometimes even less, depending on how booked up you are. Um, it can be hard to get a lot of time to go over parenting questions or, you know, smaller questions that parents may have. So this is basically just an avenue for me to connect better with my patients and parents um, in a different sort of um, forum, somewhere that they could ask me kind of simpler questions like, what do you think? buyers, you know, nothing that was particularly directly related to their child that I had to examine their child for, but, um, you know, quick tips that I wanted them to get from a trusted source. Well, no, it's, it's great that you're doing this and I simply love your content. So, so that's amazing, but let's talk about your journey as a doctor. Uh, we're going to be discussing all of it today. So my first question in regards to that is, when did you decide that you wanted to become a doctor and why did you decide that you wanted to become a doctor? 
So it's kind of funny because my parents are both physicians and I, I feel like almost from age two kind of knew I wanted to be a doctor or was, was trained to be a doctor or bred to be a doctor. But it was really, I think in middle school and high school where the passion um, developed more so. And I spent some time doing research um, with the NIH and that really piqued my interest in some of the really cool clinical studies they were doing. Um, there were several sort of personal anecdotes that I heard from patients of my parents that, you know, really um, inspired me and made me want to be like them and be able to have sort of meaningful relationships like my parents have had with their patients. Um, and then, you know, in high school, of course, I enjoyed a variety of classes. I really enjoyed science. I really enjoyed math. Um, I knew that um, I was at least able to do well in these courses. And I knew I would need to be able to succeed in those courses in order to pursue medical school. Um, and so by high school, I pretty much solidified my decision. Um, and that's why I kind of applied to more of the combined accelerated programs and kind of wanted to get to becoming a doctor as quickly and as in, the, in the most streamlined way I possibly could. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned about the combined accelerated program of med school. We'll get to that in a second, but, but you have the support of your parents because they were already doctors. So you had someone you could go to in case you had any questions. So what steps can these upcoming students take to really know that medicine is the field that they want to get into? Do you have any suggestions like what steps they can think of to figure out if that's the right field for them? Yeah, I think that exposure is probably the most important um, aspect. So whether that's shadowing your community physician, you know, whoever your doctor is, or reaching out to your local hospital and talking to ER physicians there or hospital physicians there, um, you really need to get exposure because nothing is going to really show you what the life of a doctor is like than being in those, you know, positions and in those shoes. And right now with COVID, I know it's incredibly difficult to find these shadowing opportunities, but it's going to get better. And um, those opportunities are going to be available again in the future. So I think that it's most important that, you know, starting even in high school, if you think you want to become a physician, start getting some experience in the medical field. Um, there are also, you know, a lot of people who I went to medical school with who had worked as scribes or had worked um, as medical assistants prior to actually, you know, deciding they wanted to go to medical school. Some people had come from a more research background. So I think there's a lot of different avenues to get into medical school. But I think that being sure that a career in medicine is right for you is, is not um, an easy sort of task. And so the more exposure you have, the, the more easily you'll be able to decide if that's the right career for you. Oh, I completely agree to you. The best way to figure out something is by exposing yourself to it. Exactly. But but you specialized in pediatrics. There are so many different avenues in the field of medicine when you want to become a doctor. Why did you decide that you yeah. wanted to specialize in in pediatrics? It was not it was not a straightforward path. So when I started medical school, I thought I wanted to go into internal or adult medicine initially. And I had actually kind of arranged so you're in your third year of medical school at least the way they used to do it, you know, now there's more hybrid sort of curriculums. But in my year, third year was the year that you did all of your clinical rotations. So in that third year, um, every month, you're rotating through a different specialty. And I had kind of laid it out. So that way, I would be doing my internal medicine clerkship, 
um, you know, kind of midway through so that I would be, you know, best prepared and be able to make a good impression and get good letters. And then eventually, um, you know, when I got to the middle of my third year, I loved my medicine rotation. I was like, yep, I'm going to do internal medicine and then maybe specialize from there. Um, pediatrics was actually my very last, uh, rotation. And I had put it last because I was like, I'm, you know, not going to go into pediatrics. I just, my father's a pediatrician. I was like, I don't want to do what he did. I want to do my own thing. And, um, so, so I wasn't really planning on doing peds at all, but when I started that clerkship, um, I really just kind of fell in love. And when you talk to a lot of, um, residents, they'll say like, you know, during your third year, the, the specialty almost will like choose you. So I had a lot of friends who came into medical school thinking they wanted to do this or that or whatever. And then after going through their third year, again, exposure, <laughs> getting their hands dirty, doing that sort of um, practice day in and day out, that's when they realized what they really wanted to do. So I always tell like, medical students who are like, I know what I want to do, like that don't go into medical school thinking like, you know, exactly what's going to happen, you know, be flexible, because you may realize that something is kind of meant for you that you weren't thinking about initially. Um, and so for me, I, I enjoyed, you know, the clerkship, but it was really a couple of attending physicians who sat down with me during like our feedback. And they were like, you really need to think about pediatrics, because when we see you, we feel like, you know, you just are excelling, and we really want you to come to pediatrics and this and that. And then, you know, um, I, I kind of started reaching out to other pediatricians. I was like, maybe these couple of attendings just really like me or something. So then I took some time to shadow in um, community, you know, pediatricians offices to see if I really enjoyed that aspect as well. Um, and it just kind of chose me. I feel like, you know, I, I it just fell in love with it. And then I couldn't imagine myself doing anything else. You know, something that I want to highlight, you just said it's so important to put yourself <laughs> out there and expose yourself. And that's exactly what you did. And that's how you found exactly. your passion. Exactly. And so many of my friends have done the same thing. You know, one of my um, in my entire group of friends, I think only one person actually stuck to the field that they thought they would go into. So I think experiences shape everything in medicine. So yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And not only in the field of medicine, I think in any given field, exposing yourself sure. is so important. That being said, let's talk about your accelerated program in college. I think that's one of your most famous reels as well. When I saw it, I was like, wow, you graduated so quickly that is so amazing because I know that requires a lot of hard work and a lot of planning do you want to take us through that entire journey you know in high school was really when I was committing myself to a career in medicine I had had good experiences and I you know felt really strongly that this was going to be you know the best path for me and knowing um, from you know friends or, you know, family friends or friends of my parents or just, you know, other people I had met through summer camps and things like that. I knew that getting into medical school was incredibly difficult. So for me, I wanted to get in as quickly as I could. Um, and an accelerator program was, you know, there aren't that many actually in the United States. And I think that number is actually declining now. They're becoming a little bit less popular. Um, but there were several that I applied to, um, and I ended up getting an interview at GW, and um, and then fell in love with with the school. Um, really enjoyed um, my time interacting with other applicants and other students who were there. So um, that's kind of how I fell into GW's uh, accelerated program. But for me, it was really that I had a passion and I wanted to get 
to doing what I wanted to do as quickly as I could. Um, the other nice thing about my program was that I did not have to take the MCAT, which has changed. Mm-hmm. Most programs now require you to take the MCAT, but that was also just like an added bonus. So that was something that I did not have to, you know, worry about um, when I was going through my undergraduate. You know, something similar happened to me recently. I recently got into accelerated master's program at my college, USC. And the best part about yeah. that was that I don't have to give my GRE and GMAT. So it's it's simply amazing. It's great. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's just amazing when you don't have to give those entrance exams, right? That being said, what are the challenges of becoming a doctor? Did you face any challenges during your entire education journey? And now that you've started, what has been one of your biggest challenges? So, I mean, medical school is incredibly challenging. Um, I was 20 when I started medical school. I was probably, you know, one of the youngest people in my class. I clearly remember my 21st birthday. I had, I think it was microbiology. It was my microbiology exam the next day. And my parents came that evening just to, you know, give me some cupcakes and say happy birthday. And so my roommate was there. I was there. And I was just sobbing. And I was like, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm going to fail this test. I can't, you know, consume this amount of material and be able to understand it. And there's so much that is required um, of me as a first year medical student. And I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if this is the right choice. So I think that um, a little bit of being maybe young and not feeling ready to tackle on such a huge volume of material may have contributed to that. But I think in general, medical school is challenging, right? There is a lot that is expected of you. Your hours are rough. um, And there's always more studying to be done. There's always more you could be doing to make yourself, you know, a better uh, physician. And so I think that finding work, you know, balance during medical school is incredibly challenging. I was fortunate enough to have a pretty phenomenal group of friends that helped me, um, you know, tackle the other three years of medical school. Um, Now as a physician, there's, I mean, there's so many challenges. So I mean, schedule, schedule wise, it's, it's grueling. Residency has a very grueling schedule. You're working a lot. You're working very hard. You know, you're, you're interacting with families at some of their lowest moments when they're most scared, when they're most vulnerable. And um, that can be draining. It can be draining to, you know, be on your A game all the time for your patients. Um, It can be draining to work a really, really long shift and then, you know, have to sit with a mother who is nervous about her child, you know, so it, it can be really draining. And I think, Physician burnout is something that is a huge challenge um, for many physicians. And I I could probably go on and on about so many, (laughs) like, you know, challenges. There's everyday challenges with scheduling and, you know, trying to Mm -hmm. give each patient some individualized attention. There's the bigger challenges with, you know, um, prescription drug coverage and making sure that patients can afford their medications. And then there's the challenges of work-life balance for physicians, especially physicians who are married to other physicians and um, navigating that. Well, one thing I want to say is that I'm sure when you talk to your 21-year-old self now, you would say, hey, it's all paid out and I'm doing so well and I'm so happy now. And I'm sure you agree with me. Yeah, absolutely. It was worth it. Since we talk about challenges, I also want to bring in COVID. I'm sure... When I bring in COVID-19, those challenges would have increased and that drainage 
Do you want to talk about that? How how COVID nineteen increased the challenges? So, when COVID was first becoming um, sort of full blown in the United States, I was finishing up my third year of residency, and I was rotating through the ER, the emergency room, actually. Um, and so I thought I was pretty, you know, good as a doctor and I knew my stuff and I was teaching, you know, interns and medical students and, you know, you have a good rapport with your attendings and things like that. So you kind of feel pretty comfortable, right? You feel like, you know, anything that walks through that door, I'm probably going to be able to handle. Um, and of course, then COVID hits and it was like a huge sort of, I don't know, slap in the face kind of to be like, you really don't know as much as you think you do. And in fact, with COVID, there was so much that I didn't know so much that even my attendings didn't know. Um, so that was, of course, incredibly challenging. It also kind of, you know, um, made me take a moment to say, hey, you know, this is real medicine. Medicine is always changing. You're, you know, despite being at the end of your training, there's so much that you don't know. And even for some of the attendings that I thought were, you know, the smartest, best possible physicians, they didn't know, you know, and it was actually a great way to learn how to approach, you know, something that is very unknown. So I appreciated watching a lot of my attendings, um, you know, dissect the research that was coming out, dissect the data that was coming out. And we in the emergency room actually had to develop new ways of doing of running codes, for example, of having time to mask up and gown up before we ran in to, you know, help a patient who was potentially um, in severe respiratory distress or arresting. Um, and that was really challenging because as physicians, we're taught to, you know, when, when someone comes through that door, we run into, you know, our code bay and we are ready to go and to say, wait a second, you need to put on your PPE and then you can run into that room. That was like a whole new concept for me at least you know um and so that was a huge challenge absolutely i mean like you said like there were a lot of challenges but i'm sure it was such a such a big learning experience for you and thank you so much for all your services and all the doctors oh, out there as well. <laughs> absolutely i think that this year has really shown how much physicians really um are dedicated to what they do. I've been so in awe of many of my colleagues who are day in and day out. I have colleagues who work in New York City and they have been working just tirelessly throughout all of this. No, 100%. Um, but you mentioned so many challenges. I want to want to ask you, what did you do that that made you successful in spite of all these challenges? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I don't really know the answer besides <laughs> you have to keep moving forward, keep going, mm -hmm. keep working hard, show up every day and don't let minor, you know, setbacks stand in your way. I think the power of just hard work and consistency cannot be understated. Um, so yeah, like, I still showed up for that exam the day after my 21st birthday and I didn't fail it. I did fine. Um, so I think it's very easy to let that little voice inside of your head kind of take over and say, I'm not good enough. Um, and women in medicine, we talk a lot about imposter syndrome. It's huge, especially for, I know it was for me. I know many of my colleagues have felt similarly. Um, 
So I think that it's important to just say like, no matter what, I'm still going to show up. I'm still going to try and work hard and try to tackle these challenges head on. And sometimes you may succeed and there's always a lot of failure too, but you just keep, mm-hmm. you just keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. I actually just spoke about failure today with my audience. And I think it, it's yeah. something similar that you said, you don't have to take failure as your own personal identity. You need to separate okay. the two and just keep moving forward. So yeah, I completely agree with you on that. So keeping in mind all these things that you've done to, to make a successful career, is there anything else that you would do differently? Or is there anything that you would suggest these young students to do differently to make sure that they don't face any problems that you might have faced? Um, I think that... One of the things right now that I'm doing my MBA program, I wish I had done an MD MBA, but I think it would have been a lot to do a BA MD MBA program. So I kind of wish I had done that earlier. Um, You know, I think that there's a lot of small things I would have done differently. There's, Mm -hmm. there's a daily sort of reflection on what could have been done better. And even now, um, when I finish a day and I'm driving back, um, I'm kind of running through my day, you know, what were my interactions like with one patient versus the other patient? What were my interactions with my staff? Um, How could I have phrased something differently? How could I have approached something differently? Um, My husband will tell you, I come home and we'll be researching, you know, cool cases or researching something that I saw um, a patient present with, because I just, I'm constantly sort of trying to um, address things that I don't understand and think about ways I could have done things differently. So I don't think there's, you know, one huge thing I would have done differently, but I think that I'll continue to um, learn from things that happen every single day to try and think about ways that I could have done them better. Talking about daily reflection, how important Mm -hmm. has that been for you? It's been very important. I will say with a caveat, however, sometimes the daily reflection can become more of a rumination where I can, you know, I think a lot of physicians do this. We get inside our own heads and we think that, oh, we must have missed this diagnosis or, oh, we didn't do as much as we possibly could for one patient or, oh, I wish that I spent, I don't know, three more minutes doing x y and z so sometimes it can become a negative spiral so i think that's where a lot of you know (laughs) reflection with colleagues and reflections with friends can come in as well to kind of bring lightness to that reflection period and, and prevent the rumination from happening i mean yes i completely agree with you i think it it is hard hard to hard to reflect on a daily basis but yeah like you mentioned Try to do daily if possible, but if not, it should be regular. I think a lot of people, and it doesn't have to be like a, like, okay, now I'm going to sit down and reflect, you know, it's just something, I think you should constantly be reevaluating your actions because we're not perfect. And there's always ways to do things better. And sometimes you do things the better way. And sometimes you don't, and that's okay too. But talking about the 21st birthday, I just want to touch on that specific. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure that was just one of your instances out of the entire education journey that you had. I'm sure there would have been many more because, because there is the pressure of becoming a doctor. It is not easy. Is there one or two things that you would suggest that students should do or some things that you did to deal with that pressure? Yeah, I think it's really important to have a good um, 
social network, support network. Um, I, of course, had my parents who were close by. And although I initially wanted to do college and medical school far, far away from where I grew up, it was really a blessing to have them nearby. Um, like I've said before, I've had a, I had a phenomenal group of friends who didn't take themselves too seriously. So in medical school, you kind of sometimes will get into this rut or habit of taking yourself incredibly seriously. And that if you're not studying every single moment that you're just not going to be a good doctor. And that is simply not true. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to protect your mental health, you have to protect your physical health. And I really owe it a lot to my colleagues, my friends who, you know, gave me that time and that space to get out of the library and take time for myself and go for a walk or go shopping in Georgetown or go out to a restaurant and just spend some time enjoying my 20s. Because um, I've had a lot of people ask, like, do you feel like you wasted your 20s in medical school? And I don't, I don't feel like I wasted my 20s at all. I had a, I had a great time. Um, yes, we worked really, really hard. But um, we also I mean, I had, I went on some wonderful, you know, trips with them. I, um, got to partake in a lot of their, you know, life sort of moments, like getting engaged or getting married. Um, And that was really meaningful. I think that you can definitely uh, work really hard and and have a life outside of medical school as well. Mm -hmm. You know, my friends are studying medicine as well. And one thing I usually hear them saying is that, oh, we don't have time for a social life. And that just makes me wonder whether that is true or not. I'm not doubting their capability or any sense, but I think it's that pressure that tells them, hey, social life is not possible. And again, you just need to fight that pressure and say, wait, social life is possible to a certain extent. Yeah, I think that's that's completely true. I mean, yes, if you have an exam on Monday, you cannot be going out on (laughs) Saturday night. Sure, of course. But if you finish an exam on Monday, that means you can take Tuesday night off and go out for dinner and, you know, spend some time with family, spend some time with friends. You don't have to hit the library the minute you get out of one exam. And um, I think we forget that in medical school. I think we forget that in medicine sometimes. Sometimes we get into these sort of competitions where it's like who's working harder and who's working more and, you know, the people that you would constantly see just sitting in the library, like day after day after day, people just like, wow, they must be so smart. Not the case, you know, people study very differently. People can um, learn material very differently. And so I don't think that sitting in the library necessarily means that you're becoming an excellent physician. Um, I will also say that a lot of the physicians who are incredibly book smart may not be the most clinically smart or may not be the best one to communicate with patients. And so it's important for medical students to realize their strengths. You know, you might not get 100% on every test. That's okay. You know, you're in medical school, your purpose is not the grade, your purpose is to learn the material. And so as long as you're, you're engaging with the material, learning the material, and then applying that when you see patients, that's really what you should be focusing on. I think you brought up a super interesting thing and I wanted to touch on that. How important has communicating with the patients been for you? How important is it to learn to communicate with your patients? So I personally think that communication is not emphasized enough in medical school training. I think GW, where I went to medical school, did a phenomenal job. We were put into situations where we had standardized patients very early on and we were um, taught how to 
connect with patients, how to ask the right questions, how to phrase questions to get the best answer, um, how to be um, aware of sort of cultural differences that may affect how a patient responds to you. And I think that really can cannot be, you know, it, it needs to be done more and more and more and more and more. I think that we focus a lot on pathology and microbiology and let me be honest with you, I don't ever look at a pathology slide. No one is asking me, you know, to look for a red blood cell and tell me, you know, no one's asking me to do that, right? If you don't have a good relationship with your patient, you're you're not a good doctor, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I think I think people forget that. Mm-hmm. No, I'm so glad we discussed that cuz I've seen that my doctor personally while I was growing up, my pediatrician, he was so close to me that made me feel safe and I think it's so important that we discuss this topic. Yeah, especially in pediatrics, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But but let's talk about a day in the life of a pediatrician. Do you want to describe how your day looks like? So I'm a primarily outpatient pediatrician, meaning that I work um, in a clinic setting and I see patients um, in a, like a clinic office setting. Um, other pediatricians may work inside the hospital and their day is going to be different than mine. But my day, try to wake <laughs> up and work out every morning. That does not always mm-hmm. happen. Um drink a lot of coffee and then head to the office. Um, sometimes I have babies to see in the nursery. So I'll actually head to the hospital, um, see some babies in the nursery around 7.30. And then my office, uh, my first patient starts around 8 a.m. Um, so then we see patients from 8 a.m. to lunchtime, an hour break for lunch, and then seeing patients again from about 1.30 to 5. Um, our office has like walk-in hours from five to seven every single day. Um, so I will be in the office until about six forty-five, seven o'clock in case there's any, you know, sick patients that need to come in between five and seven. The patient encounter, you know, generally begins with the nurse going in, getting vital signs, mm-hmm. figuring out what's going on. And then I go in, do the exam, come up with an assessment and a plan. Um, there's a lot of Um, parenting advice that goes into my day to day, there's a lot of what we call anticipatory guidance, which is basically just like, here's what to expect that's going to be happening with your child in the next couple of months or days. Um, Here are some things I think you should start working towards with your child, things like that. We talk a lot about school performance. Um, We talk a lot about the dynamic between the child and parents and grandparents and siblings and things like that. Of course, we do vaccinations, um, prescribed medications. Um, We do um, like vision and hearing checks. That's all done by the nurses. At the end of the day, I generally have a fair amount of telephone encounters, which is um, basically patient messages, patients, parents who have called the office and need me to call them back. Um, medication refills will be in my inbox um, and then paperwork. Unfortunately, in pediatrics, we have a fair bit of paperwork. So school physicals, medication sort of authorizations and things like that. Um, and then I generally wrap up around seven and go home and have dinner and go to sleep and start all over again. Well, that sounds like a long day. You said you wake up around 536 yeah. and you're in office till like yeah. 7, 730. How do yeah. you balance your personal life with that? <laughs> so right now I'm fortunate um, that I don't have a lot of other responsibilities, right? I don't have children quite yet. It's just me and my husband. Um, So I work three to four days a week. And then the other days I'm actually off. So today being a Friday, I'm actually off. Um, And so Thursdays and Fridays are my off days. And I get to 
take time to do things that I need to do for mental health, for physical health um, on those days. Uh, for now, with my husband still being in residency, I mean, he doesn't get home until about seven o'clock every evening. So for us, eating dinner at eight or eight 30 is very normal. And it has been for the past several years. Um, so I will definitely say that I don't sleep a lot, um, which a lot of my friends will, <laughs> um, attest to. And I don't know if that's a good thing. I think I probably should prioritize that a lot more, but for now it works for me. I enjoy spending an entire day um, at the office, three, three to four long days, and then having the rest of the days off to, to do fun things like these podcasts. Well, in no sense that I'm promoting bad sleeping habits, but again, I relate <laughs> with you because yeah. I, I don't think I sleep enough as well, which I probably should. Sleep, unfortunately, has become that thing that is always put on the back burner. And all of my colleagues who are in sleep medicine will say again and again that we are really messing up when we, you know, don't prioritize our sleep. But yes, somehow it ends up being the last thing. I will say, in contrast, my husband is very good about going to sleep at an appropriate time. And he does not sacrifice his sleep. That is something that he definitely prioritizes. So I am getting away with it for now. But maybe as I get older, it won't be so easy. <laughs> I need to get some lessons as well from him, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but talking about your day, I had seen on Instagram that you had posted a reel wherein when you talk about a day in your life. And I yeah. saw that when you when you go from home to work in the morning, you usually listen to podcasts to to stay up to date with the industry. Do you want to recommend some of these podcasts to my audience and your audience and tell them like these are some podcasts that they can listen to and stay up to date with the industry? Oh, absolutely. So um, the idea of CME or continuing medical education is, is huge in almost all um, fields in, in medicine. Um, but for me, um, I have been listening to, it's called Peds Wrap by Hippo Ed. It's a subscription podcast, but totally worth the subscription cost. Every month they have um, various sort of topics. They do something called a paper chase where they will actually go through some interesting um, research papers that have come out, which I love um, because it, it really does help me stay more up to date. I also um, find that hearing other you know, pediatricians perspectives on that podcast has been incredibly beneficial because, you know, not everything in pediatrics is, you know, by the books or cut and dry. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that is personal opinion. And like I said, I don't have children yet. So I haven't, you know, had the chance to kind of try my own sort of strategies on my own children, but one day I will hopefully. Um, so it, it's really helpful to hear what has worked for other pediatricians who are parents or pediatricians who've been practicing much longer than I have. So mm -hmm. I love uh, Pete's Rap. Other ones that I like to listen to is White Coat Investor. Um, so I am getting my MBA. I do find the finance aspect very interesting. Um, so I love listening to White Coat Investor. And then Harvard Business School has Women at Work, mm -hmm. which is also an excellent podcast. Um, there's also one by Rebecca Minkoff called Superwoman. I have listened to that a lot. Um, that one's kind of just more fun for me to listen to. Um, but the Pete's Wrap one, I try to get, I usually get through Pete's Wrap all of the months, um, the month, that month's podcast mm -hmm. in a couple of days. So then I move on to some of the more fun ones, but 
Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, well, those are some great recommendations. I personally haven't read them, but I trust you on it 100%. So oh yeah, I'm g- definitely check them out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to link them below in the description for both oh, audiences in case they want to do that. Yeah. But I mean, Dr. Monica, this has been a great podcast. I mean, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Mm-hmm. We, have, we have learned so much. And sure. like you've been, you've been exposing yourself nonstop to the industry, which is such an inspiration for everyone that is listening. I have one last mm-hmm. question for you. And that sure. is... That is, what is one advice you wish you had received before you started off your journey? So I kind of have like two. So I think one of them, so growing up in a dual physician household, an Indian household, medicine was very much like you are going to become a doctor. And luckily, I really enjoyed it and I found passion in it and it was definitely the right career choice for me. However, I would say to other people who may be in a similar situation, it is not medicine or bust. There are so many paths that you can take to help people. Um, There's so many different paths you can take in healthcare. So you don't have to become a physician. Think about becoming a nurse practitioner, a PA, um, even a medical assistant, if you will. Um, There are so many different avenues to which you can do good work helping people that does not have to be a physician. So don't let, you know, the difficulty of getting into medical school necessarily stop you. I think that's one thing that I wish someone would have told me early on, because I used to put myself under a lot of stress. And it was like, I'm gonna become a doctor, or I don't know what I'm gonna do with my life. And that's not the Mm -hmm. case, right? You Mm -hmm. can do so many good, good, wonderful careers, that is not Mm -hmm. getting an MD. Um, I think the second one would be to really just take some time for yourself. It's okay. I think this is, this is something that's becoming so much more acceptable now is to take time for your mental health. So, so many of my friends, so many of my colleagues will talk about how stressful and how a lot of them went to a very dark place during medical school residency training. And it does not need to be that way. So I think I wish that someone would have said, you know, please prioritize your mental health. It's not going to make you any less of a physician. It's probably going to make you a better physician if you are in a good place mentally. So that is something I would definitely stress to young physicians, young people in healthcare, young people in any field, really. Well, I think that's a great note to end on. Some two great advices. Don't feel (laughs) pressurized. Uh, It's never the end of the world. And second is please take care of your mental health. On that note, yeah, thank yeah. you so much, Dr. Monica, for coming onto the Career Show. Thank you. It's been my pleasure to discuss your journey. Thanks for having me. I had so much fun. I hope you enjoyed this week's career discussion. Let me know your thoughts in the comment section. Also, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Your support means a lot.